Go ahead, then. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Bum, bum. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Bum, bum. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, the tree. and he said, Zacchaeus, what? you come down. Or I'm going to your house today. Or I'm going to your house today. Today. everybody, welcome back to the Weekly Impact Podcast. I've been enjoying a uh, heated debate on NBA Finals and LeBron James and Michael Jordan for a little while here from uh, my supporting cast, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, been pretty interesting. It has been interesting. <laughs> We've come to an There's agreement. There's so many delusional people here, but it's been interesting. <laughs> and those delusional people is really a person named Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Well, guys, anyway, welcome back to the podcast. It's always good to have you back. Uh, today, we're going to go ahead and get pretty quickly into the scripture. Uh, today, I am joined by Jacob Kingsley, Daniel Yelverton, and Michael Miller is joining us again today. Hey, guys. Uh, so anyway, we'll go ahead and get right into the scripture. Today, we are reading Luke 19, and as always, we are reading out of the ESV version of the Bible. So we'll go ahead and start with Jacob today. All right, Luke 19, starting in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the hold of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus, and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came to him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I have laid away in a handkerchief. 
for I was afraid, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You should say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. So anyway, of course, now that we're discussing, that is the end of the reading for today. Uh, observations. Well, I, I'll start with uh, with Zacchaeus. Um, something I find interesting with this story with Zacchaeus is Jesus spoke about 2,200 words. Now, of course, okay, in his life he spoke much more than that, right? But what we have recorded in Scripture is about 2,200 words. And more than 10% of the words that Jesus spoke were about greed. I find that interesting, right? So he speaks out against greed. However, when he runs into Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is this tax collector, right? He is the personification of what greed is, right? So we like to talk about, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. This is what it looks like. Jesus did that. 
you know, with, with Zacchaeus, he ate with him. He did these things with them. He actually loved the guy, even though Jesus definitely hated greed. I think that's a big point that a lot of us miss in this, in this scripture uh, about, because we love to talk about the old uh, song that Jacob was singing about it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? We like, we like to hear the story about how he was short and he's up in this tree, but we forget about the fact that, that Zacchaeus was a tax collector that Jesus spoke out against, but he went out and loved him. And I think, not to jump into application too early just from this story, um, but you see how the people around Jesus responded. Um, it says that they all grumbled and they were saying, he has gone in to the, be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And I heard somebody say once, what if we treated people who didn't know Christ in such a way that other people in the church grumbled at wow. how close we were to these people who need Jesus so much? Mm -hmm. Not to become them because Jesus didn't go and he didn't, you know, condone Zacchaeus's greed. He didn't go in and say, you know what, Zacchaeus, you're living a pretty comfortable life. And I want to, you know, I want to get in on this tax collecting greed thing. But he encountered Zacchaeus and he did so in such a way that everybody else was like, well, that doesn't look like what my religion looks mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. Isn't this also like how we hear being in the world, but not of the world? Mm -hmm. This is another perfect example of Jesus, you know applying a biblical principle yeah. that that Jesus was in the world. He was eating with Zacchaeus, but again, he wasn't of the world because he, he wasn't doing the things Zacchaeus was doing. And I think that's also pretty amazing that you see just kind of um, just look at kind of Jesus's strategy when it came to seeking and saving that which is lost is that he just met with Zacchaeus. He pointed out Zacchaeus he wanted he showed love by spending time with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus uh repented he life change came and it wasn't because Jesus told him that life change needed to come is that Jesus was personifying love to Zacchaeus and by loving Zacchaeus he began to produce that life change within himself and so it wasn't just like this command you need to Zacchaeus, you need to sell all your you know possessions, or Zacchaeus, you need to give all, give all these things up. And and I think in contrast between this and the rich young ruler, right? Yeah. Because the rich young ruler, Jesus asked, he asked that he needed to sell all of these things, and because I think that there is, um, <clears throat> the rich young ruler essentially is trying to earn his salvation. Zacchaeus is encountering the grace and the love of God and is changing him, mm -hmm. and so and I and I think that that is very telling for us when it comes to interacting with people that don't believe like us or think like us, that uh, if we tell them a bunch of things that they need to do to earn salvation, then they're never going to get it. They're just, we're, they're, we're just going to push them away or and, and they're going to receive a false gospel anyways. But unless, but if we love them and we're gracious to them, then they get to encounter the gospel in a real life and real tangible way. And life change can produce from that. And it's not like a, it's not an earning salvation. And, and I think that there's this, this constant tension between the way religion is perceived and even the way the kingdom of God is perceived and, and throughout Jesus' time and what, he's at, what he really came to do. Because you think about like right after this, it says that you know they're getting ready to go to Jerusalem and everybody's believing that the kingdom of God is coming. And Jesus basically reveals, one, this parable about... Um, how you that how you live your life matters and it's there's a lot of eternal significance into this but then i think what's really powerful is also that he talks about how jerusalem is going to collapse and everyone believed that the kingdom of god was going to be this kind of golden age for jerusalem and for the jewish people 
And so Jesus was coming to reveal something completely different. And, and I think that that was where there was so much conflict when it came to, and that's why people were grumbling against Jesus by the way he treated Zacchaeus, because it was so much about personal perfection than it was about love and grace. Something else I love about, about how this works <clears throat> is Jesus is like a fantastic preacher. <laughs> because he, you know, because he takes a situation with Zacchaeus, because everybody's got money on their mind, right? Everybody's been thinking, you know, Jesus, y'all, you've been preaching about this greed stuff, you know, and now you're going to go hang out with Zacchaeus. You know, what in the world, Jesus? Then he takes the moment to spring forward from that and and teach a parable. Since everybody's thinking about money, he uses money as as the metaphor, right? I think that I, I, that's just to me. That's just genius. How how quick the mind of Jesus is and how, I mean, I, I get it, right? He's God, and, but it's, it's still genius. It's still mm-hmm. wonderful how he does that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had an observation and really anybody can, can feel free to take a crack at it. I'm going to toss a softball up. Um, in, in verse 27, Jesus says in this parable um, that this person is going to say, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So, yeah. In this parable, the representation of the of the kingdom of God coming back, and, and Jesus is the master that has gone and is returning. And so what do we do with this? Where Jesus is saying, enemies, come and slaughter them before me, but he also says, love your enemies. What is like Jesus, Ooh. you know, a hypocrite? Like what what's going on? Because this is one of those things that if we don't know, we can be like, wait, this isn't Jesus, and so are there contradictions in the Bible? What's going on? I'll, I'll take it, sure. <laughs> uh, I, I think, now keep in mind, um, Jesus is speaking a parable here, right? Mm-hmm. So he's, it's, it's, what, when you look at the parables, you have to look at what is the point or what are the points. I think there are two points. One is the whole idea of, is if, and we'll get there, is if God gives you a gift that you should use it. Right, you shouldn't just squander it, or you shouldn't just look at it. You should actually use it. The second thing is, if you look at the beginning, these people are grumbling about this master, right? And they they have elected to not receive him as like their master. And then we find at the end, there's there's punishment involved with not receiving the master. I think that's to use the big word, a, a scatological issue. We're talking about the end of time. We're talking about soteriology, study of salvation. We're talking about Jesus basically basically making a proclamation that, look, if you don't choose me, then there is punishment. And I think, you know, and that's keep in mind, it's open to to there exactly what that punishment means. and, And we all have our beliefs about that. But I think it's clear that if you don't choose Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is punishment. And I think that's what Jesus is speaking to. I mean, does that sound, Daniel, what do you think? Does that sound sound? Yeah. and uh, Sound I, sound? sound <laughs> it does sound sound. Sounds or sounds are coming out of your mouth. Um, so I would <laughs> I would say that it's, uh, I yes, I agree that, and I think there's so many instances where Jesus is teaching and also we see even in like Paul's teaching is that there's consequences for the choices that we make. But I think what's interesting is when we look at parables, we can see the master as we can as like God, and then we can kind of see his behavior as being either like non godlike, you know, like he's he, like he's slaughtering people. Like, what is that all about? But are really the the heart of the matter, and the reason why Jesus is telling his parable is he's talking about one the consequences of the choices that we make, but kind of the you know the different 
ways we can respond to the master, mm-hmm. you know, because you have the servants that responded faithfully, but then you have the one servant that didn't respond faithfully. And then you have the citizens that were in outright rebellion. And in, in another way, well, the parable of talents follows the same kind of structure. And then in that one, you don't really get the citizens. You actually just get the one servant that didn't do anything. And then he's thrown out into the place where there's gnashing of teeth. Basically, he's condemned as well. And so with this, I think you can get, you have the people that have been given different things. And so they've just worked hard for the kingdom. They've focused on working on what, and and the Lord commends them for what they've done. But then you have two different people here. You have the, the sins of commission and the sins of omission. Mm-hmm. So the sins of commission would be the citizens who are in outright rebellion. And that's, and they are just wicked and they, they get what they are kind of deserved in this situation. And then you also have the servant that didn't do anything and he's also called wicked. And that is, for me, is really telling for for us as followers of Jesus is that we can look at the people that are in outright rebellion to God and just say that God's going to punish them. And and we can look at that and just say that them as the bad guys where there's good guys. But then there's the there is the servants who would be considered followers of Jesus that are not doing anything at all, and they are just as wicked. And so I think that that, to me, is gets to the heart of the issue is that not only, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, you know, the kingdom of God, what you do in life matters. I love this quote from the famous theologian Russell Crowe in Gladiator, (laughs) but what we do in life echoes in eternity, right? I just think that that's, that's important to know is that we can always just kind of create the distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous, but there is such a consequence for doing nothing, for receiving what God has for you and doing nothing, and it's just as wicked. And, and that, to me, is just sobering in a lot of ways, you know. And it's just, and it's it's telling, especially because I think part of our North American Christianity is 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 a Christianity of comfort and convenience. Mm-hmm. You know, like we want Jesus to be for us. We want Jesus to be our co-pilot. We want Jesus to bless us and do all these amazing things that we want to have done in our lives. But do we really want to submit to his lordship? Do we want to have like true life change? Do we want to work for the kingdom of God? Are we building up our own kingdom? And we're talking about the kingdom of God right Mm -hmm. now at Elevation Community Church. It's a series that we're in right now called The Upside Down Kingdom. And I think these are the questions that we need to ask ourselves as followers. Are we the servants that are putting what Jesus has given us to good use? Or are we using it? Are we burying it? Like not doing anything with it or essentially... If we do that, we're really just building into our own kingdom when it comes to the talents that God has given us. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's, uh, there's consequences. And so we can look ahead to the consequences of the choices that we make uh, as it pertains to eternity. But also that, you know, we can't just look at the people that are not following God and just see them as the ones that are just going to be judged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I think what Daniel's done really good here is, Letting the point be the point. And I think that's something that we have to do when we look at Jesus' parables. If we start taking parables literally, then we miss the whole point of <laughs> Jesus teaching it in parables. <laughs> so, I mean, like, like Brent, do you do you tell um, your kids stories, you know, at night or anything like that? Have you done, ever done something like that? Yeah. So a good story, that when you're going to tell your kids stories, you know, it's got some action you know, it's got some danger. It's got some peril. It's got, you know, all these good pieces to be a good storyteller. And I think Jesus was a good storyteller. Sometimes I think what happens 
is we take the end of his parable when he's like, they'll be slaughtered. And we're like, see, Jesus says he's going to slaughter people. I mean, Jesus is, he has a literal knife and when he's, and he is the master and what he's going to do with his enemies, he's going to literally take this knife. And he's going to slice people's throats because like Jesus is that guy, you know, he's like Jesus Rambo, you know, <laughs> Jesus is a masterful storyteller. And his point here is this is not going to go so well for you. I'm going to make this extremely dramatic you know, and you know, example, but things aren't going to go so well for you if you don't do these things because he's a good storyteller, and that's what good storytellers do, right? So, I think we, we should do like what Daniel did and let the point be the point instead of like think that Jesus is walking around with a sword trying to decapitate mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, something else that stuck out to me in that same parable was um, because you think that he's telling this parable saying, like, compare me to the person that's the master in this in this parable. And it says on here, you know, he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Mm. Obviously that's not Jesus. But I think what it means there is just the way it relates to Jesus is we know who Jesus is. We know who God is and we know what he expects of us and what he said he will do and who he is. So I think that, I mean, maybe I'm wrong if you guys think something different there, but that's what I got from that because I kind of hung up on that a little bit. I've, I've been kind of sitting here reading mm-hmm. over that and just kind of contemplating like, why, how does that relate to Jesus? Right. But I think that's how that mm-hmm. relates there. I think that's almost like a, a human side to show and create human relatability to the master. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus as God, you know, what did he not sow? What did he not create? What is not God's already? And so God can't be the master who is taking things that are not his mm-hmm. because everything, everything is God's. True. <laughs> and so I think that that is, that is a more human characteristic to the master. But I think in the same time, like we don't want to say God is severe, but like he is, he's severe in his forgiveness. Mm-hmm. He's severe in his grace. He's severe in his holiness. God does not take things lightly. His character is very rigid. Mm-hmm. It is what it is, and it is not changing. So I think God is a is a severe God. Yeah. Um, he's not a soft and malleable and changing God. Well, and he's also severe in his justice. Because mm-hmm. you think about everything that Jesus had to go through, the severity of Jesus' punishment for us. And, and I think you're right. I mean, God... The parables is really, it's like a, it's a relatable situation that teaches a principle, that teaches the kingdom of God and what it's like. And so there's going to be things where you're going to look at it and you're like, I don't understand the character of the master because it doesn't sound like God. But really, God's the constant, you know, and real and the cha- the servants and the citizens are us. And so we need to figure out where, how we're responding then to the gospel, how we're responding to the grace, the love of God, the forgiveness of God. You know, are we trying to, are we in rebellion to it because we want our own? Or are we are we just really afraid or are we really apathetic when it comes to what God has actually done for us? And then that shows wickedness because of everything that God did and everything that Jesus went through for us. How can we not respond in a way of gratitude and also in a way of like faithfulness and servitude? Hmm. I, I got a summary for this parable in two words. You ready? Do stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do stuff. God gives you stuff, and you do stuff with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, it's not going to go so well for you. Yeah. And I think um, just as as we were having conversation, Daniel was pointing out we we were looking at the consequences of either you know the commission or omission. But also in the in the same breath in this passage, the servants who were faithful they received rewards. Yeah. yeah. You know, God or the master, 
who's ultimately pointing to the ultimate master, you know, um, gave rewards for faithful service. And so I think not like, okay, I'm in it just for the rewards, but like God is just. And so, you know, if you are faithful, he is faithful as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, yeah, do stuff. I like that. (laughs) I I think what's also when just the crazy thing about the prophecies that Jesus was kind of doing as he was going up into Jerusalem, uh, all of this is kind of leading to a head because eventually Jesus is going to be betrayed by his own because we, you know, he didn't correspond in the way that they wanted the kingdom of God to come about. Uh, but I, I just think it's amazing how this prophecy that Jesus has about the, the, the Jerusalem and especially the temple, all the stones are going to be thrown down. And this literally happened in 70 AD. And there was then the destruction of Judaism, this from the Sinai, from the Mount Sinai. So Mm -hmm. that was where the, that were that type of sacrificial system was established where the temple was established. The temple has been destroyed and the temple's done and it's no more. And so they were, they were very much stuck into this is exactly how the kingdom of God is coming about. But God's picture was so much bigger than that. And, and so I think this is really uh, just kind of, it's amazing to read the gospels because they're eyewitness accounts and they're all about like the whole hinge of our faith is believing in not only the words, but also the work and the resurrection of Jesus, mm-hmm. the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the fact that Jesus was like so specific about this prophecy and it just happened, uh, just continues to point more and more that he was who he says he was yeah. and that he is someone that we should then now follow and give our life for, uh, because of all that he's done for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And and just a little fun fact about this passage that goes into observations is a lot of times we hear, oh, you know, look at Jesus riding in on a donkey. You know, it's so humble and it's so meek and, you know, anybody else would have ridden in on a horse. But actually in ancient times, victorious kings oftentimes would ride back on a donkey. They'd ride into battle on horses because horses are way better for battles. But there was a symbolism of royalty with actually riding donkeys in the cities. And so it changes your perspective that oftentimes we hear this and we're like, wow, Jesus was just not going in notice, but like he knew what he was doing and he was making a statement of his victory as he was going into Jerusalem, even before he was crucified, because he knew God's plan for his life. He knew it was about to happen. He was assured of the victory that would be given to all of us. Well, I guess you can see that he kind of goes in there in beast mode because <laughs> the next thing you see him doing is is this whole. Well, I mean, yes, the, you see him weeping over Jerusalem, mm-hmm. but but then, then you see him cleansing out the temple. Mm-hmm. So this has always been a passage that I've struggled with. So I'm curious, what do you guys think about this about about Jesus cleansing the temple? What do you think actually went down? What what do you think about it? If only there were like magic <laughs> no erase markers, thoughts. he probably went in, you know, just cleaned it up, used some bleach, <laughs> sterilized it. He's like, guys, this has gotten out of hand. Um, no, but I think, I think this is where we see the holiness of God. We see, and a lot of times people refer to this as righteous anger. You're like, well, what is righteous anger? They're like, look at Jesus flipping tables in the temple. That's righteous anger. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a point where, where God will defend himself. You know, God steps up and, and he says, no, this is, this is not acceptable. 
And so I think it, it goes a lot with what we hear when we talk through the Gospels and we look at Pharisees and how they were corrupting people, how they were exploiting people for their own power, for their own you know, gain and, and career advancement, if you want to call it that. And he said, enough, that is not what this place is. This is the place because according to the covenant at that point, because he hadn't established the new covenant where God would indwell us, that was the only place that God dwelled. And people were making a mockery out of it. People were hindering people from actually getting to experience God. And he said, I am not going to allow this. Mm-hmm. And I think that was his motivation. He wasn't just like, I don't like this. So let's do a renovation project. You know, <laughs> like it was it was serious and it was about encountering God that people were, were keeping them from doing. So, so Daniel, how about this? <clears throat> Translate that to now with where God resides now. Cause if I'm not mistaken, pastor, right? God resides with us. Mm-hmm. The Holy spirit is with us. Mm-hmm. So how does that translate? You know, cause it's not like a literal temple. Yep. If, if God's upset with, with how people are, are acting in the temple, how, how does that work with, with, you know, you? Mm. Well, I think on one thing, I, Part of me really always wanted to have like a WWJD bracelet of what would Jesus do and just run into places and flip tables and be like, <laughs> yo, I'm, That's just, what doing, he would I'm do. just doing what Jesus would do. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that the, uh, to answer your question, uh, Michael, I think one of the things that drove Jesus so uh, angry right here was the fact that these people were a hindrance of people meeting God. Hmm. So there was, uh, the Jewish people were exploiting other people that wanted to meet God, and they were using that to their advantage. The Gentiles, the uh, the Samaritans, the anybody that wanted to come in that wasn't in the in crowd, was being exploited, and they had to buy all of these animals for sacrifices, and so they were taking advantage of these people. And these are people that were coming for the Passover. So this is the Passover celebration. This is the biggest like pilgrimage into yeah. Jerusalem. Yeah. And all of these people are being taken advantage of. And I think that was the, what infuriated God the most about it was that they that that the Jewish people were were supposed to be a sign to the rest of the world that God is a good God and that he loves people and that you can meet God. And and that's why he set this nation apart for that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is what drove Jesus so in such a rage was that there was, they were taking advantage of people wanting to meet God and exploiting them for those purposes. Mm -hmm. And so how that can translate to us now is that if we do anything that hinders people from meeting God, I think we're met with that same kind of uh, anger, if I could say it from God. That if we are putting on some sort of representation or if we're preventing or hindering people from meeting Jesus in a personal relationship, then we are at odds with what Jesus was doing and what God is doing. And so if we are putting stipulations, if we are putting something to where you can't come to church unless you get your act right, or you've got to do a certain amount of things, or you know uh, you can't dress a certain way, or you can't have like tattoos, or whatever it may be, and we're using that as a hindrance to stiff-arm people from meeting God, then I think we're stepping in this same very dangerous territory that the Jewish people were doing because Man. we're taking our position and we're leverage, leveraging that to exploit others and to build up our own either self-image, either personally, or build up our own pocket. Mm-hmm which we've seen that also where people will take it, be taken advantage of by uh, teachers of Jesus and they'll pay them money for healing or they'll pay them money. And it's, and it's very manipulative. Mm-hmm. And so 
that's where I think we can really run into scary territory when we become the thing that hinders people from meeting God. Yeah. And God, I just I feel like just like God will flip tables, He'll flip us upside down <laughs> mm-hmm. to get to that person. Yeah, Jacobs had said earlier about sins of commission and sins of omission, or was it Daniel? Daniel said it first. I was but, just a little parrot. I, but I think I think it's interesting what you said about Jesus cleansing the temple because if you look at this parallel of the, I always say it wrong, the minus, minus, whatever, that that has this, this whole issue of if God gives you something, you should do something with it. And then, you know, so like that's the sin of, I'll, I'll make it wrong, but but omission, like things that we don't do. Mm-hmm. But, but with what you're saying with Jesus cleansing the temple, there are times and there are things that we do that we need to not do. And I like how, mm-hmm. how in this passage, it kind of covers both ends of that spectrum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think too, if, if I'm going to be honest and to answer your question that you first asked Daniel, but I'm going to answer it as well. You know, what is the application here? We are the temple of God. The yeah. Holy spirit resides in us. Yeah. And so God cares about a clean temple. God cares about a holy temple. And so even looking at, at my life, you know, maybe I'm not, getting rich off of these things because it's not always about money, but do I sometimes let my schedule, like my own schedule come in between me and other people Mm -hmm. knowing God? Absolutely. Do I let my pride, my greed, you know, even my love for the people around me, even my wife, Mm -hmm. do I let those things come in between other people's experience with God who lives inside me? Yeah. And so Jesus cares about the sanctity of his temple. And so that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. But there are things in in this personal temple, you know, my body where the Holy Spirit resides that aren't completely in order. Man, I think I think Jacob wins this round of of answering questions from Michael. That was pretty good. <laughs> I agree. There was no competition. <laughs> Not like prideful. Like no, we, no, we had a, a we had a bet. We had a bet earlier in Jacob. No, <laughs> he must be the greatest of all time. Mm. <laughs> like like LeBron James. Uh, oh, back to the beginning. That's it's a good place to wrap it up today, guys. Um, so um, I'll pray today. Father, we just thank you. We thank you so much for your love for us, um, for giving us your Son for having the time with him here on earth for us to learn these lessons from him. God, we ask that um, every day that we would strive to draw closer to you, to grow more in relationship with you, and for us to, for our eyes to begin to see without even intentionality from us, for us to begin to see the world, to begin to see people as you saw them, God. For our schedules and for our tasks and for everything that we have, our time, for us to make time for them and for us to not see them as objects that get in our way or or hinder us in any way, but for us to see them as people and souls that need us to love and connect with them and that need to connect with you through us. So God, we just ask you to continue to grow us in that way. And we just trust you and love you, God. We just ask you to move in our lives and um, we just lift you up. So in your name, God, amen. 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 All right, guys, thank you for joining us yet again today. We're getting somewhere into the mid-30s on these episodes, man. It's, we're, we're drawing on a year of doing this podcast. Wow. So Yeah, we're going to loop back through now. We're looping back through the rest of the New Testament. Yeah. Because we started in John, didn't we? Next week we'll so. be in John. Yeah. Skill level two. 
Upgrade. You um, leveled up. And for everybody, too, this is a question that I have. Uh, Are we going to the beginning of the Old Testament after we get through this? Is that something that we've talked about before? That is a question that we haven't answered yet. Uh, all right. So, so yeah, we, uh, we as for the foreseeable future, we're going to go all the way to Revelation, which will end sure. us in December. Okay. Uh, we we just don't know where we're going right after that. If we're going to go to the Old Testament, if we're going to hit different topics, we just don't. We skip don't know. numbers, guys. Skip. I love the <laughs> no, Old don't Testament. Do it, don't skip so that's numbers. my vote. But <laughs> I, I I'm not. I'm not the decider of this. Yeah. Thankfully. So we'll see. All right. So anyway, you guys now know that we don't know. <laughs> we um, know nothing. So just hang in there, and it'll take us a while to get through the New Testament anyway. We will be deciding that, and once we do, we'll let you know. But uh, thanks for hanging with us, guys. Until next week, for Elevation Community Church and for the Weekly Impact Podcast, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>